thing. Oh, welcome back to another episode of the Key and Late Podcast, the premier whiskey podcast without the mention of whiskey in the title whatsoever. Back with me after much popular fanfare and wondering if Wilson was still alive, Wilson Ramon Torres is joining me live from Skype from a safe location in Chicago. Hey, well, <laughs> wonderful, beautiful, well, looking good, feeling well, good. Uh, he's dancing. He's just dancing. He's, he's feeling he's it. High he's high on all those numbers. He just got back and sales just increasing like just crazy right now during the pandemic. It. Getting ready for a Cubs game later tonight. It looks like it. <laughs> I am ready for something. Shit. I, yeah. I did anything. see a guy sitting on his porch on Sunday when we were walking because it was really nice. And he was sitting on his front porch in his Cubs jerseys and Cub hat. Had a Cub pennant out there. Probably listened to an old Cubs game on the radio as well just to feel a little nostalgic. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that that last scene in Captain America, the original Avenger. Yeah, and where he he woke up to the to the to the Yankee game that he actually went to. Mm. Oh yeah, that's what I'm oh, yeah. right now. Have you been on a Marvel marathon as well during this pandemic? I totally have. Oh, Captain that's Marvel. a good one. Captain America is my guy, dude. That's that's my favorite Marvel. Watching before them we get... all in order is actually how do you know how many hours that would be? It would be 22 days. Really? No. That's not true. <laughs> There's no way. I was like, damn, I thought it was going to be a little more manageable. And the third voice querying that question about what could be the time limit of the time maximum, I guess, of Marvel movies. Also back on popular demand because we fucked up the audio about two or three weeks ago recorded last time <laughs> is Joe Henry Jr. of J. Henry Bourbon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again. Yes, yeah, don't wave. Don't wave. Don't wave. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. So Joe I'm is from uh, Wisconsin, man. We just fucking wave. Fucking straight off the farm today, allegedly. But um, straight off the farm. But it turns out he was more on his knees laying maybe some rebar, concrete, laying putting up some insulation. I don't know. Laying the pipe from my knees. Whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. We, uh, we built a large extension to our blending house. Mm. Um, so that'll almost uh, a little more than double the size. The addition that we're making is going to make is two thirds. Well, it's two and a half, one and a half times bigger than what we're working with right now. Okay. Um, and so. The idea is that we'll be able to store a lot more finished uh, bottled product. Um, we may put some barrels in there um, and see how they interact with uh, having a constant temperature all year round because most of our rickhouses are non-temperature controlled. Okay. And finally, uh, because we have to get that heated all day yesterday and today, I was putting down insulation on the floors and running uh, PVC water piping through the floor so that we can have in-floor heat um, to heat the building. So is PVC piping the? They're not PVC. It was uh, it, it was like flexible. Sort of? No, it's flexible plastic. Okay. Um, so you just kind of got to bend it and like zip tie okay. it in place. It it was kind of a pain in the ass. I was on my knees all day like a cheap hooker. So. <laughs> Naturally, naturally. Five dollar get you anything you want. <laughs> Just in case the esteemed listeners of the Key in the Lake podcast, the Premier Whiskey podcast, without the mention of whiskey in the title whatsoever, which 
I will maybe raise a question of later in the podcast if we should change the name of the podcast. Why um, did you come up with that name anyway? I think I don't think I've ever asked you that. Oh, um, well, I'm glad you asked. Well, we'll just get into it now then. Yeah, let's um, get into so, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it was in a reference to one of my favorite whiskey books, um, mm-hmm. The Old Time Saloon. And in the book, it stated that pre-prohibition bars in Chicago, especially in the loop, were so prominent with drunkards and tide houses and doing such a wonderful job of keeping the men of Chicago nice and warmly drunk that they were always packed. So if you opened a bar in Chicago, the old phrase went, you could throw the key in the lake because it would be open 24-7. Oh, by nice. popular man. Yes. Um, it's kind of one of those things I read years ago in this book and highlighted it. I'm like, if I ever start that really cool emo band, I'm going to name it Key in the Lake. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get around to the emo band? Oh, like in, back in like 2002 I did, but um, not since then, I don't think. Um, yeah, but it was just kind of those things that like held on. And I thought it was a really cool name. Um, I always like obscure references in anything in life. But – yeah, hinting towards the name change is getting a little too obscure, probably for this. <laughs> I think people really like the title to understand it, but I think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, the story it, of, well, is is really cool. Hundred um, percent. But the whole point of the podcast was, or even the website before I started the podcast, was to tell the stories behind the bottle of whiskey, like introducing mm-hmm. those faces to everybody. And I don't think you should ever create anything for people. For other people, I think you should create it for yourself and mm-hmm. make sure you should have like an audience you're looking for, but that need to get it out into the world should be the most important thing versus creating content for others and then their point of view. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we want people to hear these stories. And right now, along with like years of distillery, I've been interviewing distilleries that have been uh, well, not with distillery making hand sanitizer, but I've been interviewing much more of the distillery faces when it comes to the owners and founders of these places, talking about their transition into hand sanitizer versus making whiskey for the frontline workers that really need it out in this world. Um, I want those stories to be, to be heard, and I yeah. think it would be probably easier to find maybe if we had the word whiskey in the title of the podcast. Wow. So I've been racking my brain about it quite a bit and thinking maybe we should change the name by putting a W-H-I-S in front of key, and it would be ah. whiskey in the lake. That's great. Whiskey in the lake. Whiskey. Whiskey in the lake. So I'd keep the same logo. Um and this basically changed the podcast name, and that's really about it. I might even leave the handle on Instagram the same, but put it for, find it, make it more searchable on the internet and in iTunes. When people type in whiskey, hopefully that would pop up. Because at one point we had like the number like eighty one food podcast on iTunes. I'm not really sure how. Oh really? There's no alcohol category. Oh. But, <laughs> so you, yeah. yeah, so either you put it like in history or food. I guess it's like really the only two places that have it like fit in. <laughs> yeah. So we we went with food. Um, yeah. where most podcasts do when it comes to the spirits business. Uh yeah. so yeah, it was kinda like, well, you know, like we're doing something right. We're getting numbers going up, but the numbers are pre are, are staying stagnant, slowly rising versus at like the end of last year. Um they're kinda going up they're projecting up a lot more. Or I guess oh, beginning nice. of this year. So yeah, I was thinking, you know, like 
I want people to find out the content that, especially the, like the guests that we have on, because we get to talk to these, to these people on a daily basis. But um, as whiskey rises in popularity, hopefully, you know, as a New York Continues Times, too. Yeah, yeah, hopefully it does. Yeah, but I, I, I like what you originally said, Jake, um, and that's what I love about it is the obscure title of the podcast. Mm. Uh, I just think it separates us from those more. I guess you can say direct titles, bourbon pursuit, yeah. respect, urban bourboness, you know, with Chris, you yeah, know, whiskey cask. So, yeah, you know, we whiskey cask, you know, there's so many great, the bourbon road, one of my favorite podcasts that I love to re- listen to. And it, you know, dad's I, drinking bourbon. I, yeah. I mean, dad's drinking bourbon. Yeah. Cool dude. <laughs> Those guys are hilarious. Realize on the obscurity of our, of our podcast. And I think maybe we, we kind of forget, that we talk a lot about industry. We mm-hmm. talk to great friends, we great acquaintances, great connections that we have that we bring on, such as Joey. You know, what we could maybe do is maybe include more of the whiskey aspect of it because we kind of forget about it because we get in right into conversation. We bullshit, you know, we're, yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't take this too serious. We're in a sense where we're giving you hard facts. We're giving you straight, natural beings that from their you know perspective of the industry as you mentioned jake we maybe yeah. start off with a little bit a little of a dram and then maybe going into it in a more uh concise manner but i don't i personally feel the way it is now as far as the title i think it works perfectly to to our advantage and it helps and it makes people search for us you dig what i'm saying it does um but we also don't have like a celebrity endorser or any uh, advertisers just to get the name out there a little bit more <laughs> We Wilson Torres is a celebrity. You know, what? I mean, come on. yeah, look at this like, guy. <laughs> on the northwest side of Chicago, there's probably no bigger name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what neighborhood do you live in? Like in that maybe two block radius. He's yes. the man. <laughs> I am I'm like, hey, from, I got guys. Don't you worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> from like Rockwell to Western on Peterson. He's the man. Everybody knows him. <laughs> you can walk into any pub. Any Everybody pub. knows his name. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it, it it does beg the question of. I, I mean, I'm not like I don't want. I, we aren't doing this to like be, you know, bourbon whatever. A little bit like luminaries or yeah. celebrities in the industry, but it's also because we have our jobs and those are more important. Obviously, and take much more of our time. Well, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, maybe this maybe week isn't right the best re- replication of that yeah. of that but uh yeah it is uh it is it's interesting to see like not interesting i guess it's more is it effective to have a name that's obscure to a reference that was said in 1910 in 2020 that nobody knows until i tell them <laughs> i think it's a cool can you like put is there a way you could just put that in like your description? Cause it's a, you don't, you definitely yeah. don't want to lose that, that reference and that name. I had it. And then I put in like podcast cause nobody knows what key in the lake is. It's yeah. funny. I'll go into like, um, like Scotch Mall society has their YouTube channel and yep. I'll go in there and, you know, watch something and they'll be like, uh, I'll be like, make a comment, and they're like, "Oh, Jake, Keena Lake, hey, how's it going?" And then you'll get a couple of followers, and they're like, "What the heck is this page?" <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> they're like looking around, like, <laughs> "Wait, why is it called Keena Lake? It's just a bunch of like a bunch of distillers in their faces." Like, yeah, go into a trinket shop. 
and just I mean, like, where do yeah, they get all this shit? We look at it from right. that perspective. Maybe we, we look at it from the viewer slash listener perspective and maybe make adjustments. Yeah. In that because personally, I think the content fits along a line. I mean, we're still tweaking and we're still learning this. You know, we're not perfect. 100%. You know, yeah. so I, I think this allows us, you know, uh, that's the great thing. I mean, even Bourbon Pursuit, if you listen to their first dozen or two dozen shows, they, they themselves would tell you they sucked. You know, but there was content. You know what I'm saying? And this it was is episode seventy four. You know, so it's just a matter of you know, it's some time and a little tweaking, and I think maybe introducing ourselves more to in a manner where, hey, we are these people, but we talk about this, but there's also a little bit of all this sprinkled in, into it as well. You know, we're not ju- we're not one dimensional. I you, like that. So you have a lot of, uh, I mean, you have different people on that are not industry focused at all, don't you? Or is it? I mean, uh, I mean, outside, yeah. yeah, for sure. Like we have brewers on from the brewery that yeah. we record at. Yeah, from mental perspective, <laughs> perspective, from ownership perspective. Yeah. Um, okay. Our perspective, your perspective, Joe. Yeah, you know, totally. You know, we we let's forget just about really us. well about curating a nice, you know, flow of 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 individuals that we can that we can bring in that would offer something that we haven't even touched on or maybe. Their experience is obviously more than ours, like a Marty, Lou Bryson, and so on and so forth, you know, where they can maybe pick up where we would left, leave off because that's to the extent where our knowledge stops, they can pick up and continue to go. Right. Marty um, Duffy, you're dead to me. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> he just tells me that all the time, so I'm oh, saying it right back to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and Jake threw himself um, So I was actually going to ask you, well, first I'm going to ask you to come on uh, the show that I started a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. So stir crazy, um, is a little broadcast. Nice. I started with a, uh, friend of mine who is the, uh, bartender at the AC hotel lobby bar in Madison, Wisconsin. I love um, that bar. Have you been there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only preferred way to drink Stranahan's by the way. <laughs> um, it's good whiskey. So our our concept was uh, like, yes, we both work in the industry. That's where our heart and souls are. But we meet so many different people from other walks of life that are connected because of good whiskey and because of a community vibe that you share at a cool bar like that, that we were like, all right, screw it. We'll have people that are in the industry like... Um, Next week, we're going to have my friend Nick Moss from Dancing Goat Distillery. Uh, We're also going to have the lead bartenders from Merchant and Lucille in Madison. Uh, I'm sure if you guys have been to Madison, you've you've definitely been there. Um, And we've had like a physical trainer on there, a couple good chefs, a a bunch of artists actually that are kind of like – talking about their work and their philosophies. Um, and so the whole idea was to like try and recreate the community that you could get of sitting at a bar Mm, and like you could meet any of these people if you're sitting at that bar. And that was able to kind of like diversify the number of people I think that we could get Mm -hmm. into our podcast. And so like what I'm thinking is if, if you want to keep that, kind of obscure name uh that people know and it's definitely a cool story like 
bring some other people in that are some somehow connected to what we're doing in the industry, but broaden that out to try and gain new membership as yeah. opposed to just like changing the name, you know, cause uh, I mean, the, that, not, that might not too. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Like I love the idea, like how you're recreating the home bar. I think that was what I was the part of that was definitely a part of what I was trying to create was yeah, exactly. what, what we experience at whiskey bars by being inside of the industry and bringing that to life to everybody else too. Cause it is a different conversation. Get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> Wilson's drinking his Chicago select from union horse distilling co out of the next Kansas, a barrel just picked for the great people and taste buds of Chicago. I got one bottle left that is I got that the last battle, the last bottle. You bought it. Save me a sample. It's still sealed. So when we when we get back together or back to normal, we're gonna have a welcome back cast. I'm gonna bust it open. Oh my god, dude! I was so looking forward to that like open key in the lake afternoon that we were gonna have the day after uh, or the day of whiskey fest. Mm. Oh, yeah. you, you <laughs> planned this. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> no, I was I was like, what did I say? What did I say? <laughs> no, that, that was going to be, yeah, we were going to do that with uh, Lou Bryson, um, just having an open house after he, that was going to be our third podcast of the day. So if initially we were going to interview my boss, Dave oh. Vitale, the founder of Star Wars, and then Lou Bryson, and then have an open house podcast at Beguile Brewing, the international studio, also known as Albert. Yeah. but uh this thing happened and then we couldn't do public gatherings so i don't know we got that's it a, once this is all changer. done i am gonna come down for that day whenever it well, is well i have heard that benny's is going to try to put on their whiskey week events whenever the doors to earth open again and when did whiskey fest get rescheduled oh, yeah, yeah, to like just I, is that what you were talking about earlier, Jake? July is What's it? That? that I heard. I, I heard two dates. Um, these are from people that work in the industry. Gotcha. Um, I, heard, I heard July. That's not going to happen. Uh, or October. Okay. I like October. I, I like think, October. I think realistically, we aren't going to be doing anything on a normal scale when it comes to what we do by yeah. going to accounts and sitting in bars, sitting in restaurants. And this is not a mass gathering either, but I don't think it's going to be before September. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, even if we do, I mean, get back, say, let's call it, you know, June for, for sake of conversation, I think there would be so many things. Um, like guidelines and yeah, restrictions that, in place. Because right now, the on premise as we know it, is yeah. Um, but even then, when when they open up, I mean, if they had a hundred seat capacity, they may only be allowed to do twenty five to thirty percent capacity. Yeah. I mean, de- depending on square footage, depending on their format, depending on what they serve, you know, I, I just there's just so many variables to to consider. Like I I was just le- reading a post by um, the good people over at Ward Eight in Evanston, my favorite cocktail bar in the city. What and, up? And there, uh, shout out to Cody and Anders and 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 um and everyone there. They just today had to like furlough, well, like you know, let everyone go so that they can collect Jesus. unemployment. Because even as you know, as as us, yeah. we all have been trying to do for our our favorite spots and our our yeah. just account based general is still they're running at less than a quarter of what they're accustomed to, you know. And now that, you know, to, to go cocktails hasn't been ruled upon. So no one's doing that anymore. 
you know, unless they, you what know, do you mean? Rule well, upon. No, to go, uh, to go cocktails, it's, it's illegal to do. Um, so yeah. the state of, you know, the Illinois liquor commission hasn't ruled on anything or has, oh, they, they need to oh, they, get their act you know, together. Get out of that. I'm like, either right. Yes right. or no, whether it be with a food order or not, a lot of these places can figure out a way maybe they can do a pop-up within a, a, a restaurant or, you know, that they yeah. can help each other out in that sense. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's just really sad to know that these great, great places that we've come to, to learn and to know oh, yeah. come right. up. Right. You and know, how many, you know, I don't think the government understands the support that <laughs> restaurants would get from us on the inside, but like provide, like, what do you need? Do you need bottles? Do you need supplies? Do you yeah. need ingredients? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what can we do to get, you know, to help you, but also helping ourselves. Let's be honest. Like we're helping ourselves too. Sure. Um, by, by sales point. Beneficial all the way around. I mean, 100%. from the end, it's not just, you know, when, when you and I go out and we, you know, we give our physical ability to help our, you know, the curbside pickup delivery put together or, or, you know, yeah. Whatnot. And Joe up in Wisconsin, you know, working on his, you know, his family's farm, but at the same time taking care of his people account-wise in his very home state. The yeah. community is what's really going to carry each of these distilleries on-premise, off-premise, you know, locations. Yeah. And, but at the same time, we can only do so much. We can only carry that along so far where the government is kind of maybe relied on that a little too much and say, hey, we'll yep. get to a point where maybe it's going to hit red levels. Now we need to step in. Um, regretfully so, that whole PP, you know, PPP, you know, mm-hmm. fund, obviously missed, missed, uh, taken advantage of. Yeah, 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 you know me. Created properly. Uh, but, you know, it's is it really out of all that anyone? I mean, these things were put on the fly, so you're bound to have situations. You're like with Chris's, that happens where they're considered small business for every location that's less than 500 per people, and then all of a sudden they're pocketing $20 million and they have $85 million in reserves. Yeah. And you're like, Right. And then, and it's not going to the employees of some of these places, and you have over a hundred companies that are on, um, are uh, sell, are being publicly traded as well. And yeah. I, I, and I get why they're on there in that aspect, and I get why they're not giving it back to their employees because you have to have infrastructure to hire back your employees or to hire employees in the first right. place. But when you have millions of dollars of cash reserve sitting there for you times really like need this, to take that money from other people's pockets, because the way that I see it is, it was. Um, it was almost kind of just like the easy way out for the government mm-hmm. to distribute those funds because yep. it's way easier for them to write one $10 million check than it is to write, you know, $2,500,000 checks or you go down the line. Like yeah. some of these bars, you know, you give them, you give them 10 to 20 grand and that's a huge deal. So you give them 1% of, you know, what you gave these massive corporations, but then you got, you know, thousand different people, people's worth of paperwork that you got to do. Yeah. I would Um, say for some of these places where you lie on 40% margins for, of alcohol for your sales, you know, that's Mm -hmm. where your cash is really coming from, especially, you know, let's say at a brew pub where guy sits down to have a burger, it costs $13, but orders two IPAs that cost six, $7. And you're making 26 to $28 off that one individual in the hour. Well, they can come back and support and support the brewery or the bar or whatever, and um, buy some hamburgers to go. And if the bar is lucky, they have cans or a growler to go as well. 
Yeah. But that person, you know, you're only might be only making twenty dollars off of them at a one time order and they're out the door and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm closing my bar at eight o'clock at night for orders because no one's ordering after eight o'clock. Yeah. And it begs the question of like when we do open our doors back open, what is going to be the occupancy capacity? And if you can only put thirty to forty percent, maybe fifty percent at max, back not into even those seats. That. Right, exactly. Might not even be How? worth staying open. Like now yeah. you got to hire all these employees, and especially if they put like a time requirement on it. Like if mm. you still have to close by nine or ten o'clock. Uh, I mean, I don't live in Russia, man. I don't have curfews. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I think everything will be scaled back. In other words, it's you know, it, mm. okay. So they open up their five thousand square foot facility, they're only gonna be using three thousand square three thousand square feet of it. I mean, mind you, their mortgages and the rents are the same, but their their potential to do business is cut by that much. So yeah. cover three thousand square feet, you have two instead of seven servers, you know, or you know, your menu obviously is now reduced as well. So yeah. now you don't have that much as a public staff. This whole reset that we've been going through has really enabled us to to really reflect on how we've done things in the past and now has challenged us to how we can reset and now do business differently because let's just face it, things are going to be different for a while after the fact. So we yeah. now, that that will, that just challenge us to pivot, to find those, those avenues where we can maybe stay afloat or, or maybe help one another, or maybe even, you know, save your business, you know, and save something, you know, and save a part of the community. And, and that's essentially what we're losing. We're, we're losing community. This is the only thing that we've, we have to, to, to um, hold on to for now are these type of uh, communications via technology, you know, and so much so that I'm surprised we're not having problems with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I know. You dig Speak for yourself. People are on it right now, you know. Well, I mean, you, you, you've got the you've got that uh, Lincoln Park technology. You know, I've got Rogers Park technology. So, mm. you know. Oh yeah, he's got the faster Wi-Fi. You don't even live in Rogers Park. <laughs> it's West Rogers Park. Oh, sorry. I live in Lakeview East, not Lincoln Park. Oh god. my god! Damn it! <laughs> Get it straight. I'm not that yup. I'm not that yuppie. You're not. Yeah, you're close. We, we have that beam. We have that beam Centauri cash coming in, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're far from yuppie, my friend. Thank you. We, we got that comfort branding coming in, baby. <laughs> comfort branding. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So, Joe, you've been, uh, it seems like you've been able to to, to uh, reverse your efforts that you normally put into your market now back into your actual business. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of good that we are somewhat diversified as a family just because the the bourbon company essentially grew out of a passion from my parents wanting to make whiskey. Um, but the farm has always been, uh, you know, core and central to our family. And so... And I, and, and I hope nothing in agriculture gets slowed down because of this, because once that happens, then we all need to start freaking the fuck out. Right. Uh, no, and please talk about the, the brand itself. Cause I can't, I know we've talked about it. The, you know, the, what, how many months ago was that when we first recorded, um, the first episode, but the last episode that we got, uh, killed by because of technical difficulties, Wilson, Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Just talking about that. We were at my place. See? Lakeview East. Internet? Not Lakeview always the best. East. <laughs> um, yeah, like what what it is that your distillery does by growing your own crops. Um, so our the the grains that we grow for making bourbon 
uh, is a very, very small percentage of like our total production. Uh, we probably grow anywhere from 100 to 150 acres of all that red corn that we talked about, mm-hmm. all the wheat and all the rye. Um, and that 150 acres uh, makes up all the total year-long production of our bourbon, um, which is now like right around 1,000 barrels a year. And the flip side of that is we primarily grow hybrid seed corn, um, which is corn that we grow to have essentially better traits than both individual seed corn on its own. So like the example that I always use is, let's say we have a varietal that is a little frost resistant and a varietal that's resistant to this new type of pesticide that came out. And you have a farmer in Montana that wants to grow something that's frost resistant and resistant to this new type of pesticide. And so what we do is combine those two separate hybrids to create hybrid B with both favorable traits um, so that that farmer can then grow it uh, on his property in that climate, resistant to that pesticide, um, and then feed it to his cattle. So mm. mostly what we do is kind of at the top of the uh, the top of the production scale, and it kind of all filters down from us. So right. we're essentially growing corn for seed, which another farmer will put into the ground and then grow and then use that to feed livestock. Whereas most corn is just grown for feed. So we're kind of one step before the majority of farmers in the United States. Um, And we do about 2000 acres of that um, on an average year. So over, you know, it's like less than 5% of what we're doing Mm -hmm. is going to the bourbon. Um, But yeah, it's really kind of like the start of the food chain, you could think. Um, Because we grow seeds, we sell those seeds to a farmer, they grow feed, that feed gets eaten by a cow, a chicken, a pig, or whatever, and then that that oh animal, God. yep, <laughs> ends up on a plate somewhere. <laughs> oh, man. And that's why we call it Keen Lake. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we're we're essentially. Um, uh, I I hope that someone never considers us non-essential because then we'd have a huge problem with the food supply, um, and that's why we're we're following all the all the regulations, as many rules as we can follow. We're social distancing on the farm, um, but at the end of the day, like people got to eat, so. Mm this stuff needs to get in the ground. We're probably going to start planting, um, sometime next week or the week after. Um, and we're hoping nothing, nothing like that gets shut down because like I said, then we're going to start seeing some real problems in, uh, in society, I think. Do you see like, as I mean, not currently right now, but before this all went down, Joe, did you, did did your family, what was that? Sorry, you cut out for a second. Yeah, it's cool. Get your headphones. I know. Plug. I have to grab another drink. So. Oh, important things. Yeah. 
It's the it's the non-quiet things that nobody ever knows. <laughs> There's that echo back. I hear the echo now this time. I know. I gotta put my headphones back in. You know, keep the bottle by you, Mo. There well, we go. Well, you have a lot of selection behind you, so. Yeah, I I have trouble deciding sometimes, so. Mm. Ah, makes sense. That's why I brought two bottles to my table. Oh, jeez, man. I only need one. Just the one. And it happens to be just this guy right here. That's, that's all I need. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I, what I meant to ask you quickly is um, before this all went down, Joe, did your family or has your family um, taken into consideration maybe increasing that percent, that 5% that you mentioned going towards your bourbon production, maybe increasing it, maybe 2 to 3%? Um, it just seems like it would help with your fulfilling um, your, you know, your market uh, you know, demand because it's just, let's face it, your, your, your bourbon is in high demand in Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So I wasn't sure if there was some talk about that where it wouldn't skip a beat with everything else that you have aside, you know, aside from that. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of, uh, it's, it doesn't take that many more acres to produce more barrels worth of, of whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't remember, I, I calculated it with my production manager a couple of months ago and I don't remember off the top of my head, but 4.36. Yeah. Something like that. You know, it's a very, very exact figure, uh, <laughs> that I'm sure if we had him, um, at our disposal, we could ask him, but it's Friday night and I'm hoping he's in. Could you get off your knees and do some work finally for the company? <laughs> That's what I've been doing on my knees all day. <laughs> No, but it is it is um, not just the effects to whiskey, but the agricultural development of anything. Like if you guys were shut down, not essential, then what would happen to our country uh, or the world? Yeah, everybody would starve and people would riot. So let's just hope that doesn't come into any effect, which I don't think it will. Like I yeah, said, no, it, it, I mean, unless it was contaminated, unless the pandemic actually got contaminated inside of the food supply, then that would be the only thing. Right. And then we're dealing with huge huge problems but i did see um or like 20 days later tyson closed which is a huge food processing plant they mm-hmm. closed one of their largest um mm-hmm. processing plants because somebody was infected there in iowa and right i think it was so yeah, yeah you got to go home and maybe turn <laughs> the light switch back on baby <laughs> you know i do just uh radiate and gold you, gold baby I, uh, I got, I, I saw some very unfortunate news for you is, uh, what was that bar in Iowa city that just shut down for good? Oh, I don't know. I didn't see. Oh, let me, I'll look it up. You're going to cry. You're going to cry when I tell you the bar that got shut down. Was it, uh, I hope it wasn't. No, I don't know. It's brothers. I'm scared now. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking it up. He's, you know, they had ones. Dude, Iowa City has the most bars per capita in a one mile radius than any place in the entire country. Get the shit out of here. Are you serious? Yeah. That's where everybody wants to go there. It's the best party school in the country. The I Union didn't go bar. There. Union shut down. Wow. Uh, indefinitely. I, uh, I didn't. So I didn't go to Iowa, but as a very passionate Iowa Hawkeye fan, and I elevated my education status to go to more of a, uh, you know, something that would just 
tickle my brain cells a little bit more, make sure I was on top of my game in a more forefront educational atmosphere <laughs> at Drake University, home of the Bulldogs in Des Moines, Iowa. Sick. Um, I went to Madison, I, so we got both of those things. I'm not sure if you did. I'm not sure if you did, but you know, uh, <laughs> he's throwing up the dubs, man. He's throwing up the dubs. I got no. I'll take you to a game day if we can go back to college sports. Oh, uh, when this is done. I would love to. Uh, Let's go, go watch. Somebody go to game. Yeah. If, if there was, if there was a game day at either car, at, or, excuse me, at, at Kinnick, at Kinnick Stadium, or at uh, Camp Randall, I between those two teams, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Yeah. Let's go. Open yeah. invite. Let's pick a game if if the uh, collegiate football season happens. We'll do a key in the lake broadcast, uh, like like college game day style. <laughs> I think I, I think we can get Herb Street and Pat McAfee would definitely fit into our podcast. Yeah, we could ask him. Kind of might get Barry Alvarez, uh, director of athletics at so, Madison. I think he'd be interested in coming on as well. And remember, University of Iowa man, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Funny story, I, Barry Alvarez, if I may quickly, when yeah, I was selling cars, I was selling Chevrolets and uh, on the North Shore of the Chevrolet dealership that I worked for, um, big UW um, alumni, the fan, I mean, the decade, I mean, generations upon generations. Yeah. Set up shop on the North Shore. There, uh, Barry Alvarez's vehicles were leased by... The you? university through not me, but huh. the the Chevrolet dealership that I that I worked at. Oh, nice! Years ago, I was twenty two, twenty three, maybe. Mm. Remember him coming to pick up his every year before the season started. He came in to pick a new fucking Chevy. Was it red? Every year, black, 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 black for black for the Hawkeyes. <laughs> That's where his heart belongs. Anyways, nothing to do with anything, but that's my that's my only tie to the conversation. So between two I, guys, right? I have flown a lot in my life because of the jobs where I had to fly a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and every once in a while, because of flying a lot, you get upgraded into first class. And once once upon a time, while I was flying out of uh, Fort Myers, Florida, I sit on my flight, and all of a sudden this pleasantly plumped, handsome man in a red sweater <laughs> vest with a W on <laughs> right above his heart I <laughs> And I'm like, oh, Barry Alvarez. And I was, I'm a big Iowa football fan, a big 10 football fan yeah. as well. So I appreciate yeah. just like the big 10 okay. and Matt Coons, who was one of his uh, best fullbacks he ever had at Wisconsin. And one of his favorite players of all time was one of my favorite players because I yeah. back and linebacker and very endearing to me. So I see Mr. Alvarez walk on the flight in the previous year is when he came back to coach um, the Rose Bowl. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and which was like one of the very coolest, classiest moves in college football. Yeah. So I was like, I was starstruck. I'm like, oh, you know, I've seen stars in airports and wherever you might be, because um, I fly a lot and travel a lot. That mm-hmm. you're like, ah, whatever. But Barry Alvarez is the one guy. I was like, oh my god, it's Barry Alvarez. And I couldn't even go up and talk to him. I was so what? nervous. Oh no. Shit, really? I, I, went, I went up to him and said, Mr. Alvarez. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world you did for the, at the Rose Bowl, and just walked away. <laughs> Dude, he, he reminds me of just like a, an old school grandpa in his sweaters with the collared underneath. Dude, with the sweaters and the collar yeah. poking yeah, out. Right. Like, yeah, really yeah. You, know, you know you get a cigar and a whiskey in him. You got the stories for days. Oh, oh my God. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Barry, oh, open invitation to the podcast anytime, Barry. Anytime you want, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
That would be hilarious. Yeah, let me talk to some people and see if I know anybody still there. Oh, Probably sure. not. No. Let's be yeah. real. And no. what, were we, what were we talking about before uh, Iowa bar show? Oh, Union Union Bar. Union. Close. I don't okay. know. I've never been to Iowa City because oh, I went to school gosh. in Madison and, you know, shit was just better there as far as partying. It's about uh, the same, I would say. Pretty, pretty high rate <laughs> of alcoholism. Yeah, definitely. Anywhere in the Midwest. <laughs> Uh, a lot of bitches I, under I 21 that. sneaking in the bars. By bitches, I mean both boys and girls. Just yeah, boys and girls. Mostly just bitchy frat boys. Fuck yeah. those things, man. Those motherfuckers are badass. <laughs> they're badass? I just, uh, they think they're so, badass. Uh, how big is that bar? Because I've heard from my friends that it's massive. Yeah, it's like... Uh, so... Remember, I mean, I haven't been there probably in ten years. Well, last week, but <laughs> you were there. You were there partying by yourself after they closed. <laughs> that was a different bar. Um, it, I believe it was three stories, and then the middle was cut out, if I'm remembering correctly. And so the bottom was a dance floor, and then like right in the middle of the bar, like you could see down into the middle of it all. So it was like a club. Yeah, they're all clubs. Oh, so it's not a bar. How does it rate compared to the mid closing down? How disappointed are you in relativity to the mid closing down versus Union City closing down? Did the mid close down? Yeah, it was a real sad moment for for me, for a lot of people. I I missed that, actually. Um, I've never been to the mid. Um, my, my days of, my days of binge drinking Bud Light and taking shots of Jameson had passed me by that time when the mid's popularity came right in, you know, that pivot point. (laughs) So, um, I've never, I've never seen DJ Koala or Mousetrap or Steve. (laughs) Or Button Gummies. Yeah. The Gnomes. Yeah. All those guys. (laughs) Wasn't Zach Efron in a EDM music movie something? Well, yeah. What Did was the movie? Like, We Are Friends or something? What was his right? DJ yeah, name? We Are Friends, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I have right. no idea. I always remember me, me and the wife turning on, like, flipping through channels one time, and it was at the very end of it, and we're like, what is this? And he's just, like, DJing <laughs> at a big festival and, like, probably kissed a girl, and you're like... Yeah. Was it on Disney Channel or Nickelodeon? No, no. It was like, this is like Skinamax. Skinamax. (laughs) Zach Efron, the the softcore porn DJ movie. It's where we all need to be in life as a softcore porn DJs. I did have a buddy who photographed uh, at the middle lot. Mobley. He's a good looking kid. Mobley? No, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Mobley looks like a troll. Hope you're listening. Fucking Mobley. That kid's got some energy. I wonder how he's yeah. doing in Tampa. How do you think he got his energy being at the middle night? I'll give you two guesses. <laughs> Not Red Bull. Not Red Bull. <laughs> Other different kind of medication. Yeah. Ridlin? No, that's not. Uh, that's... I don't think it's over the counter. <laughs> one would assume not yeah god damn <laughs> like big out and i'd go i go home at like a midnight you know you just be at a bar hanging out and he'd be like next morning be like hey you want to go to aj hudson's and watch some soccer at like nine o'clock he's like i just got home 
You're like, what? Like what, you were out till six in the morning? Like I just saw you at midnight and you were drunk. How how were you out till six in the morning? That is crazy. All the time with that kid. Oh man. That is crazy. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, Joe, so I, I read an article. Uh sorry. Back to whiskey. Yeah, totally. Back- I read an article just recently. I can't remember if it was Whiskey Advocate, Whiskey something, about um, Nancy. Oh, nice. Yeah, Um, yeah, we're going to have her on our show um, in the next couple of weeks here. So I'll I'll promote that. um, Tell everybody who she is. Yeah, for any whiskey nerds that are listening, uh, Nancy Nancy Fraley is my, my... mentor you could say uh but she's also one of my best friends um because we work so closely together um and she is an absolute genius when it comes to blending whiskey and whiskey knowledge and not just whiskey she does work with a bunch of other different spirits her passion is actually uh in armagnac and in french style cognacs so she was trained by uh, a really high-level um, distiller. His name is Jermaine Robin, and he was based in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I think he's like a sixth or seventh generation uh, cognac distiller that mm-hmm. moved away from France to kind of start his own venture in Southern California. Um, and so Nancy started her career as a uh, maritime lawyer. She got her her first degree, I think, uh, from Harvard in <laughs> Tibetan Buddhism and really? then, yeah. And then it took that degree yeah. and went to, I don't know if it was Berkeley or I think it was some school in California to get her law degree and then worked as a lawyer <laughs> in maritime law for a few years, uh, and slowly realized that her passion was in, uh, spirits. Okay. And so she, trained herself. She worked with, uh, Jermaine Robin. Um, she kind of worked her way up and is now one of the most, I would say, talented world renowned. I'm obviously a little biased, but she is a genius when you talk about spirits, spirits, knowledge and blending really is kind of an art form instead of just a skill. Uh, because she does have a lot of creativity and a lot of artistic presence when she's creating these blends. So she uh, she's worked with um, Joseph Magnus. She's worked with Smooth Ambler. Um, I believe she's done some things with MGP. Mm-hmm. Uh, she She's had her hand in a ton, a ton of different, very, very successful upstart distilleries, craft distilleries, and also very, very big name distilleries because she is such a a talent. And I'm very, very fortunate to call her one of my best friends. And so in a couple of weeks, we haven't picked a date yet, but she will come on our stir crazy broadcast um, and kind of talk about some of the fundamentals of blending, of whiskey making, um, some of the things that we've applied uh, to our brand and our products. And a lot of the stuff that I've been able and very, very fortunate to learn firsthand from her. So if there's any whiskey nerds out there, um, keep an eye out on that stir crazy Wisconsin, because when that, that day comes, uh, it would be silly for you to miss that conversation with her because 
um, like I said, any, any minutes that you can spend with somebody like that, uh, is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of on the level of, um, I never met Dave Pickerel, um, but he has had so much influence across this sphere of like building small craft brands. And I would put Nancy, um, in that same category, if not higher, because she has influenced and had such a deep connection with just the industry of spirits as a whole, that it's just really, really impressive to, to gain any knowledge from, from what she says. So where can uh, everybody find the stir crazy broadcast? Uh, it is on Facebook. So it's just stir crazy, Wisconsin, very new we're dealing with more technological difficulties than you guys are because we're oh, so professionals. new. We're professionals yeah. <laughs> you got a professional <laughs> mic um it's true i do you know joe one of the things that you know you mentioned dave piccarillo and nancy in the same sentence and i respect that up mostly uh based on what i've read and what you've shared with me in regards to nancy and her your, your mentorship through her um do you feel that when it comes to the boy. let's call them consultants for now, mm-hmm. let's put them in that pool of consultants. When you and I'm opening up a new distillery and I'm looking for some guidance in that sense, how do you feel that their own take or is too much of what they know and how they would do it? Is it injected too much in what you see mm. yourself or yeah. not? Or is a great it, question. Is it, um, uh, I guess, call it tailored to what you are ultimately trying to um, achieve with what you're what you're making? So, um, I mean, consultant is a very very broad term. And I agreed. Yeah. Is, you know, I just I didn't want to. You know. No, and that's that consultant. Herself. She is a she is a nosing and blending consultant. Um, I think the name of her company is nosing and blending. Yeah, services. Yeah. Where she live? uh, She lives in California. Cali. Oh, okay. Well, in California. Okay. Yeah, Cali, bro. Sick. Um, Shut your mouth out there. Yeah. (laughs) So saying that, um, there's so many different people that you can work with. Um, You could find somebody that you pay to essentially take over and manage your entire brand. And you just say, you won't, you do what you can to make this really, really good. And we don't want to have any interaction with it. Um, so what, you just send her samples? No, what's great about working with Nancy is she is, uh, she's so knowledgeable that she kind of takes what we're, if we went that route with a different consultant, like she wouldn't be personally training myself as a blender. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're very fortunate that Nancy is extremely open, um, extremely talented that she can kind of work with a variety of different spirits. Um, like she's done rum. She's done a ton of whiskey. She's done, um, some single malts, like a lot of cognacs, a lot of Armagnacs, a lot of these different things. And so we're very fortunate that she's kind of taking her talents um, 
and applying that to what we're trying to do on our farm and allowing us to flourish with our own products and story and everything we're trying to do. So it's not the same relationship as like, here, this is what you should do because I'm telling you, it's kind of, it's way more of a partnership um, as to how can we develop your brand the way that you want to. Um, And that's, what's been really beneficial. Like, she she also works with um, some of my other good friends, a uh, company called Iron Root Distillery mm-hmm. in Texas. Uh, Texas, yeah, yeah. And uh, they just won Best Bourbon of the Year uh, or Bourbon of the World or something. Some no very, shit. very world-renowned award from, um, I forgot what it was. But at the end of the day, that was their idea that was robert licorice and the licorice family's idea and nancy really just helps you realize the potential of what you have um and to see like some of my friends and to have her get that recognition uh is is really really great so look it up i think it's um iron root distillery out of denison texas and it was Mm -hmm. their harbinger whiskey um one bourbon of the year uh, for, I forget what the competition they won, was. Uh, world's best bourbon for yeah. uh, World of Whiskeys. I mean, Texas Texas has been making some fucking noise these last couple, two, three years. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, Texas is always making noise, but they Is have, Iron Root here in, in Chicago? I, I, I've, I think you can four, find it at Binnie's occasionally. I think I've seen it at Binnie's, yeah. I personally haven't seen it. Um, just, they have a just, unique bottle shape. It's kind of like Angel's Envy in a way, how it starts up a little bit bulkier yeah, up top little, and comes yeah, back down. Wider, yeah. Kind of contours down, yeah. And they've it's, got, wider, like, it's much wider than uh, Angel en- Angel's Envy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as heavenly, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it's um, <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Who do you work for again? You don't work for fucking Bacardi, Wilson. Get out of here. I love Bacardi. <laughs> they still make rum? I think so. Um, but yeah, check wanna that hear, out. Want to hear a sad a story about Bacardi? Yeah, definitely. Bacardi. My, my uncle, who is a doctor, um, he gave my cousin and I, I think we were like, I was a senior in college and my cousin was a junior, cousin Pete. Yeah. Shout out to you. <laughs> and, up, cousin Pete. Uh, he, he was like the young uncle who made a lot of money early on yeah. in life. And so he like, whenever I'd see him, like, Hey, here's a hundred dollars, you know, go have fun tonight. And went to the <laughs> liquor store. Kids or like you were his kids. He still doesn't have kids, and he's fifty years old. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. It's well, awesome. he has two. He has two stepdaughters now that he treats better, way better than he ever treated me. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess kind of more of his right at this point in life. But he like, yeah, I remember he gave me a hundred dollars one night, and cousin Pete and I went and bought a bunch of alcohol, you know, for for the party as you would in college. <laughs> and I remember buying a yeah, lot of Bacardi Robins. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, like, you were in college. Like, you bought Bacardi. I kind of was actually. So oh, it was. Wow. I I bought craft beer in college in two thousand and like seven. Yeah. So I high V, which you're familiar with, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, they are our, our high V by our campus had a pretty good liquor store that had a nice little selection of craft beer and kind of got me into this whole world. And I've said it repeatedly on the podcast that I saw Dead Guy, the cans, and I was like, what the fuck is this beer with a, with a skeleton sitting on top of a barrel? 
Yeah, I've seen like, that. Yeah. So, so it's like, <laughs> I have beer. to buy this. Yeah, and this is 2007 probably. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. buying craft beer, and you can do mix and match packages for like $8. So you get six beers, you know, for like $8, $9, whatever it was. Not, not bad, whatever. Cheaper than going to the bar still. And yeah. I would drink craft beer from all over the world. A lot of London brews, actually, or England brews along with it as well, which I, I don't know why they had this, this, why this little liquor store had this stuff. In but, Iowa? Yeah, and People yeah, love right. beer in the Midwest though. Like this is this is I mean this is thirteen years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't, have, we didn't have craft breweries like the explosion now has happened, which makes craft sense. Beer. The best soil in the world. No I mean, I've, had, I've had craft beer since I think my first craft beer was Mickey Finn's in Libertyville, Illinois. They did a Main Street Raz Ale that was outstanding, and mm-hmm. I love to drink the shit out of it every Friday with my sisters and my buddies. Um, it was just outstanding. That was my first craft beer. That's gotta be in the early two thousands. Right. Yeah. It's like shit or even late nine, uh, nineties. That's kind of crazy to think about. Like, uh, you see craft beer. Um, and I've thought about this a lot because when craft distilling really started picking up, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, when was like the, the, what? 2008, 2010. Where, mm, that was a precipice. That was the birth that of it. Sweet spot of it, though. What's the sweet um, spot? I mean, I up? think I would like say now we're kind of we're kind of not towards yeah. the peak, but maybe the start of craft brewing was in like the 2000s. Oh, okay. I mean earlier. I mean, you'll, I mean like, like late so, 90s. But, yeah, so like Rogue, for example, they've been around since the late 80s. Um, Goose where Island. Where did Sam uh, Adams start? And like uh, Fat Tire. Uh, Fat Tire was a little bit later for sure. Um, but I would say the popularity of starting your own brewery, kind of making that micro selection, wasn't until the, the late aughts, I would say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But um, craft brewing is definitely happening by then. Uh, which begs the question of when are we sell, when are, like all of us that work for essentially craft distilleries? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when do we start stop having that inferiority complex and realize that we're here to stay? We're here to also, you know, make some noise too because it is. It's not that we're the beginning stages of it at all. This last week, I've talked to the last two weeks. I've talked to distilleries that have been around now for ten to twelve years making whiskey. Yeah. Now yeah. it's small on the blueprint of whiskey in America. When you look back at your bigger distilleries, like your Buffalo Traces and your Jim Beams and you know your Jack Daniels, but we're also those are making- companies that have been around for hundred plus yeah. years, two hundred fucking years on us, you know. Yeah, and then yeah. and then what Scotch and Irish whiskey five hundred. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think yeah. McAllen was just started in like the fifteen hundreds. I was there. Yeah, I know. Well, let me see. It says right on the fucking bottle. So don't take off the About two hundred years. Yeah, it's two hundred. McCallan. Yeah, that's what it says on the bottle. But I mean, okay. Scotch whiskey, I think, has been made since at least seventeen. Yes, it's it's. I think just the relation thing over. It's five to six hundred years old. I mean, well, yeah. at least brewing started in America in the sixteen hundreds. Brewing. This is kind of funny that since you mentioned Irish whiskey, I have a um, an Irish friend who we all do. Irish whiskey. Yeah, you did. When? Well, we're talking about Irish whiskey now. <laughs> um, so uh, he told me that uh, 
It's Friday. Ireland was Friday. riddled with inventors and um, <laughs> geniuses and in- intellectuals up until uh, the way he tells the story is that Ireland actually invented the first still. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had lots of inventions, lots of progress. Ireland's economy was booming. And then the invention of the still came around. And then nothing cool happened for about 400 years in Ireland. <laughs> I believe it. Cool happened to me. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, the, you know, it can very much show through the progression of generation to generation in Ireland, other than the Peaky Blinders, Conor McGregor, and, well, that's about it. It's, yeah, proper 12. If you haven't tried that, Please don't don't. Oh, oh, oh. Well, what? Just I, uh, Jameson is the same price, and so back. To, there was a, there was a point that I think Jake you started to make in regards to craft mm-hmm. filling. Um, it's probably a good comment. Call it like what? There's two thousand craft distillers right now. Three thousand. Yeah. Or no, approaching two thousand. Yeah. Two thousand. Right, a little bit, Jeez. maybe a little north of that. Anyway, yeah. so we can't say that all 2,000 are great, right? So because considering the climate of t- today's climate, how many – I know, as you mentioned today, you touched on this earlier today, and about a, a yeah. New York Times uh, uh, article that came out as well in regards to the, uh, the livelihood of us being around – you Shout know, to Clay Ryzen. So it's one of those things, you know, Joe, from your perspective, you know, you, your family business isn't all in on the craft uh, whiskey side of things. You know, it's a very small part of what your family business is and your and your legacy there. Yeah. Uh, how how do you how do you see? I mean, and because, you know, you, you contract you know, your, your friends off to the, to the East in regards to your uh, production, how yep. do you, are, are they suffering in any way or are they really relying on contract distilling and what they make for themselves? Um, I mean, they're, I read an article, uh, they're to the West, by the way. Sorry. To the West. Apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. You're a little turned around there, but it's okay. I don't know. Wisconsin. Obviously was not in Boy Scouts, but it's okay. they're obviously more towards <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> And not towards Milwaukee. The lake. <laughs> um, so, Wilson, to, I guess, respond to your comment, I think um, I think every industry is struggling right now. You know, a lot of people are just kind of in a holding pattern. Like, we're all trying to just do what we can, plot along, um, and make it out the other side of this. Mm-hmm. Um Unfortunately, there are a lot of like craft breweries and craft distilleries that do a lot of business through their tasting rooms. And I think those are the places that we should try and support first Um, because it's it's really tough to to get off the ground um, as a craft distillery like we know we're. We're in this for about five years now, um, but somebody who has started a venture within the last year, 
year and a half, two years, um, try and seek those people out and make sure that they make it through this next like three to six month period. Because, um, Mm -hmm. I love seeing new, new people come up. Um, I'm always of the mindset that like competition breeds progress Mm -hmm. and, like I get ideas from trying new stuff. Um, I like to be challenged and to not have like that challenge in that competition. And not that it's even competition. I mean, technically us three, we're all competitors. Yeah. Like, right. and the guys from Blom brothers, like we're competing directly with those assholes, but I love them. <laughs> it's like, Brown, by the way, I had to fuck, find a place to say fuck it. Fuck Matt Brown. <laughs> we haven't said it in like four to five episodes. Yeah, so I know. Like, yeah, so we, I had yeah. to get it back. Like, fuck Matt Brown. It's in our, it's in our contracts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to have like in um, Nick Nagley at uh, Whiskey Acres, I mean, Listen. I'm really uh, I'm really impressed with what those guys are doing. Um, dancing goat, like I said, Nick Moss, the owner of that company is going to, he's going to come on our little broadcast thing next week. Mm-hmm. Um, iron root, who you're friends with iron root. I'm friends with those guys down in Texas. Uh, like we all know each other. We all are in the same space. You could say that we're all fighting for the same placements in the same shelf space. Uh, but we're, we're not really because we're all kind of helping each other out and, to the point where it's like, if you said it's close to 3000 distilleries and that went up from like 20, uh, I think 15 years ago. Um, if we go from 3000 down to 1500 in the course of this year, that's a detrimental hit to the progress of where this industry can go and where it should go. And that's why I referenced like craft beers, because, you know, if you take it all the way back to the 80s, where it was pretty much just Anheuser-Busch and just Miller Coors, and they were making all the beer, and then you slowly start seeing like Sam Adams, you slowly start seeing uh, Yingling, you slowly start seeing places like Goose Island, um, these small places that with the course of time, now they're nationally distributed and internationally distributed brands. That's going to be a huge factor in where people like us can take our brands if so much competition just gets shut off. But if the competition is getting shut off, that means people aren't gravitating towards that segment of the industry. And so what we need to do is keep that segment alive and thriving as much as possible so that people have the choice of buying something that is from an independent distiller, that's from an independent craft brewer, that's from an independent winery. Um, And not that Buffalo Trace or Jim Beam don't make amazing products like they do. That's why they're, yeah, that's why they're so popular. I know you're getting laid tonight after that, hopefully. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to, to just kind of continue that friendly competition in this community, in that industry, and that's what's so great about 
having this exist mm -hmm. is we can all exist in the same space and we can all thrive in this same space. But if it shuts down entirely or gets cut in half, like that's severely going to hurt all of us. No, you're it, it, 100 percent right. I agree with you because it's almost we're on the verge of a second prohibition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This this con this uh, article that we read or Jake and I uh, read earlier it kind of leaned towards that. We're on the verge of a possible second prohibition where after this is all said and done, maybe 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 it may be from from call it let's let's just use a safe number from twenty five hundred uh, independent distilleries. Yeah. Down to fifteen hundred, maybe a thousand. Now, what I'll, put, I'll put it this way in context for people that maybe aren't sure. I was talking to Adam Spiegel last night from Sonoma. When he started, there was less than two hundred distilleries, and that was ten years ago. Yeah. I mean, now we're over two thousand. Now, we're, yeah, we're just north of two thousand. And what happened? Sorry to cut you off. No, no, that's cool. I appreciate that. The actual um, um, that little bit because that 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 does uh, help transition into what we're context. dealing with today. And exactly. Thank you. Um, ESL, what can you do? Um, also, what happened during yes, Prohibition is after the fact was you have the Jim Beams, the Buffalo Traces or the United um, Distillers then, you know, buying up the smaller guys, but not really necessarily doing anything to help, but to shut them down mm -hmm. and maybe taking the the label with them or just just doing away with, you know what, one down, one less to worry about. Um, I know I'm making it sound a lot worse than it was. But no, because that was happening before this all happened. That was that was happening before the pandemic was people were getting bought up. Yeah. Right. So point. we're on the verge of that again, where these 2000 plus distilleries, again, not all of them are at the caliber or the level where they're worth being bought by one of the larger brands mm -hmm. where that maybe they can continue to thrive in that sense. Um, or are they situated or rooted deep enough rooted in their immediate communities where they can survive on that alone? Mm -hmm. So, you know, my thought always thinking of shit is why not all, you know, if that were the case and you being actual proprietor of your brand, mm -hmm. either, how would it look like if it were just us calling, buying a stake in one another? Mm. You dig what I'm saying? Like making a, a collective you know, arrangement yeah. or something I, like that. Collective. I mean, we already have, uh, call it the, the, the four Kings as we know it today. Yeah. And, but calling it a just, you know, we're all our independent distiller. It's almost like a co-op in a sense, you know, so where we one another to, am to amend that idea just a bit or to get, create a little more. Um, you would, because uh, you can't. Yeah, I can't. Would, would, it, would it be a blending house or would it be individual uh, brand, individual logos putting out their own bottles? Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. a house. I mean, I like the thought of a blending house. I know you do. Don't tell away our ideas. Don't give away our ideas. <laughs> I, I just understand, like, you know, there's there are brands that are so in like Union Horse um, is, is 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 deeply rooted in their immediate community on the Kansas side of Kansas City. Yeah. Ten years as of this year. Fuck Missouri. Now, do they have a stronghold <laughs> on both Kansas and Missouri? Probably not. But Missouri? they 
have a very I think they have a vast popularity. Yeah, no, I think they have a vast popularity in there. I mean, you still got some backwood shit going down. You know, but Marty Duffy, Duffy's out in the Ozarks controlling all the casino population. We know that for sure. Is he on? Is he on that show with Jason Bateman at some point, making cameo appearances? <laughs> Wilson's just in the background selling whiskey. Hey, <laughs> I will fuck up some Mexican cartels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about it because you know, I mean. You have these guys just swooping in and buying like that Texas mm-hmm. distillery, the TX, you know, distillery. That yeah. Got, you know, the Garrison Brothers. They got mm-hmm. bought out, you know, and then so on and so forth. I mean, they're, Garrison they're, they're, bought they're, out? Who yeah, bought them? Well, they, I don't know if they got completely bought out. I don't want to be misquoted, but I know that there was a strong influx in capital with them. And I who, cannot who, remember. Who? I, and I cannot remember who it was with. Ah, yeah. I know that life. That makes a lot of sense, though. You know, but I mean, it's just. Um, but like you got, you got Jefferson, who's I very recognizable brand that was bought out a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't see how we wouldn't be able to do that for one another. I mean, of course, you know, as we know, to start a distillery takes a huge capital, you know, commitment up front, you know, so much. And then obviously to sustain it takes more capital, of course. It's almost. It's, it's the, the the article today just shed so much light on the situation, the true current situation. It may change tomorrow, yeah. but I mean, it just it it really hit it on the nose. And I think this is the first article uh, that I've read in months that really right. really touched home for I think us as as independent small distilleries and how we can. But in a sense, where it kind of boosted the idea of like. Well, how can we then keep each other up after mm-hmm. this? Well, so the the closest thing I can relate that to is um, pre-prohibition, late mid to late 1800s would be um, bigger distilleries that bought out those smaller distilleries for the exact purpose you were talking about to buy them out the club, basically close off the brand to interrupt any part of uh, distribution upon those bigger brands. Mm-hmm. And that didn't succeed. By the 1860s, that was essentially collapsed. Um, yeah. And then, and then by, prohibi- by prohibition, we were seeing bigger brands take off, tide houses take off, mm-hmm. and a whole new mess of laws uh, created a new influx in the industry that sent it all into chaos, mm-hmm. obviously, for 13 years. Mm-hmm. If your assumption would be that brands rally together and create a um, one big banner with smaller brands underneath that, mm-hmm. my only assumption would be that they would essentially be bought out from a bigger brand because they saw all the progression that those smaller brands could collaborate together and co- cohesively make a giant footprint inside of the industry. So I, I don't I don't know if it, I don't know if it'd be beneficial for brands the, to band together. So one one thought that I've had shouldn't have too many brands though. I, I, I mean again, it's just it, it's. It wouldn't be a dozen brands getting together. It would be the more prominent bands in the region where they would uh, like kind uh, of like, let's, hey, let's do it for let's just for sake of an argument for creating yeah. a little bit of a um, of a showcase. Let's say that few Koval and Reinhall all in Chicago, just for a Chicago yeah. based sure. based band, sure. um, cohesive unit, came together and said, we're going to create like. Uh, Obviously, it's already taken, but like Chicago Stilling Co., Chicago 
Distillers, whatever, United, mm-hmm. and created a, ba- a banner over that, but those individual brands were underneath it. Well, two of the brands are probably bigger than one of them. Correct. And they probably compete, Cobalt and few compete internationally and nationally together, pretty at the same, pretty much at the same page. Yeah. Um, where would you, how would you decipher who is the bigger guy, who gets the bigger cut, who gets the bigger marketing spend for all of that? Um, the, the way, I mean, I, I haven't gone that far. Just Solve it now. No, 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 no now. figure it out. Now? Figure it out now, please. Yeah, get your cocktail napkin out and so do got, some math. So you've got mm. you and you've got, and you've got Ryan Hall and you put you, all right, they come together, right? Now one place produces for all three. The yeah. second does all the, um, call it. It's it's like what you would what a corporation would do. This build, building A produces building B sells building C supports. In that yeah. sense, you know you've got three companies, three distilleries that are very well respected within the region nationally as well, and mm-hmm. globally in a sense of the two that you mentioned. Now you've got them working together. Now you've got them producing together for one another, and then obviously promoting for one another. Now the only benefit there is that they're keeping one another up. Now, what's cool, though, too, is almost going back to the smaller guys where maybe they have an inf- maybe they have some, uh, call it some reserves where they can maybe influx a little cash into, like, say, like um, um, at over at uh, Chicago Distilling, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe influx a little, hey, this may not be enough, but this will keep you coming and we'll take your product and we'll sell it out of our space. So it's almost calling a, it's almost a house in a sense, a brokerage house in a sense where you're okay. producing, you're marketing, you're selling out of one joint, but it's, you know, set little, uh, call it the, the wheels of it making turning or in different locations throughout the city. I mean, that's the initial thought. It may not be cost effective. It may not be this or anything, but I mean, shit, if it's easy for those motherfuckers to come in and buy us out and just do away with us, but keep our brand and keep what we established as what we wanted for our legacy, yeah. there's a way to push back and say, hey, you know what? We've been around for a while, maybe not to your level, but we have a regional and community-based support system that will keep us alive, and that alone will help maybe connect. It's, it's, again, it goes back to the community-building um, basis that I've always learned and have applied to what we do for a living. and yeah. pre- and in this current life, so I don't see how we wouldn't be able to make that work in this current situation if it came to that. I mean, again, when I haven't written it down, this is off the top of the dome, but it's something, I mean, shit, we may, not all of us are going to be around. And as much as I fought that and I fought that and I fought that, Mm -hmm. this whole scenario, um, I've come to warm up to the idea as like, fuck, maybe, maybe not all of us are going to make it through this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so how, but how can we help one another to keep that maybe brand alive in a sense? I mean, uh, last week we, we, or two weeks ago, we drank Hancock's Presidential's Reserve at your house, Jake. Yes. yes. Stepchild. Oh, no sweet. One, you know what I'm saying? It's a stepchild to the Buffalo Trace family. Yeah. But I was, love where your I love where your mind's at because it, it, it only creates a cohesion inside of the community of whiskey, yeah. but also overall Which what we we're just right. We do have that, and it's a matter of fact if we can all play together once the doors open back up to the on premise, like that can be beneficial to us all. Yeah. And by the way, the Bears just drafted uh, Jalon Johnson, cornerback out of Utah. 
but I do uh, getting back to your original point with a, a house overall being a branding name for other distilleries to operate underneath. I, the, the closest thing I could, I could point to that's happening in Chicago would be great central brewing. Yes. And it's, it's all kind it, 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 you know, and this is nothing new, honestly. It's, it's, I mean, it's I'm, not, I'm not trying to hate on anybody in this conversation. I'm not trying to put anybody down, but we've talked to friends and breweries across Chicago that haven't been happy with that outcome. Yes. Overall, I think overall it's like, you know, it's great to have a place where we can have our, our core beers made. Yeah. And hopefully bottled on time. Yes. No. Case. And that way you're put, the, the, the part of it is that you have these individuals like the Jay Henry's, like the Koval's, like the Fuse, like the Ryan Hall's, dedicated a decade plus into their life for, you know, five years with, this, with Joe of your name being on that label. Then that, that means everything. Your word is your bond essentially. Correct. And when things go awry, no pun intended. <laughs> that that comes back on you. It doesn't come back on the overhead of the company. Let's say we had a Chicago Distillers Union, whatever it was called, yeah. and it doesn't it, it, it doesn't come out on that that bottle because what it would be on the bottle would be a small print of where this is bottle, where this is made, probably. And but overall, it would say Cobol. Overall, it would say Few. Overall, it would say J. Henry on front of the label, as it already does. Correct. And, and that comes back on the individuals because the individuals are behind this brand so much. When we're talking about craft distilleries, they have less than 50 employees overall. They have probably, you're talking more about 40 employees. And integrally, it's probably more about six, seven employees that are making most of the decision when it comes down to um, creating creating the whiskey, creating the brand, creating the label, and putting it out there to the world with one ambassador at, or such, like with Joe's case. Yeah. And with that, it always comes back to the biggest name on the label, which would be the brand. So that would be probably the scariest part with ever having a unionization house where um, potentially these core brands could have their core core whiskeys or production um, labels being produced. Well, I, I just don't. I just hey, Modelo is fine too. I love those. I I think it's it's we're just looking at something that's already being done now, but smaller scale. You've got you so know. You, what, Buff- yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, let me preface this. Maybe um, bring it down to what you're really talking about. Cause I think I'm kind of catching on now as I'm talking through it. It would be instead of your Beam Centauri's having this overall house of production, it would be. Midwest distilling, let's call it that. And you could put in your journeyman, your fuse, your Kovals, your J. Henry's, and that way, so they wouldn't be ate up by the big guys, we'd all become to a cohesive unit together. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean essentially it's what Buffalo Trace does now. They've got yeah. what, twelve they've got twelve the twelve brands under one bottle. I mean, I'm under one roof or however they, they do it. They've got a couple strays like Sazerac a- overall makes decisions. We don't know. We yeah. don't know. We don't know who makes the decisions, but yes, let's all the decisions. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, that I mean, this is nothing new. This is just on a different scale and a different. Uh, um, I, I like where you're at. In a model because of the fact. Like, I mean, Jay. I mean, Joe already contract distills. You know, with his with his West uh, Wisconsin, you know, house. Mm-hmm. It still says J. Henry on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, Pinhook. 
They yeah. source blend Sean Joseph's blended everything MGP until his stuff is ready. That's contracted to Castle and Key. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we're not doing anything new. We're just mm. doing something on a different scale and a different model that would just that would benefit more than just two people. We're looking yeah. at region. Mm-hmm. A larger community. It would, community, so it would create those originalities which we talked about a lot in the podcast. If we're going to potentially be calling bourbon by the region it comes from, from um, the part of the country it comes from, we're calling it is it Midwest bourbon, is it Wisconsin bourbon? With the with second more guys, we calling it Maryland rye versus you know maybe Kentucky yeah. rye. Right, exactly. I mean, so I mean, so, we we I mean, we call at Union Horns, we call it we call it Midwestern whiskey. You know, I mean. Because yeah, that's it, essentially what it is. Born and bred Midwest. You know, it's well, and there already there already have been um, state classifications of whiskey that have been approved. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Tennessee is probably the first one. Tennessee whiskey. Tennessee whiskey. I think New York new? has. Uh, yeah. New York has a Mar- New York has Empire yeah. Rye, so mm-hmm. any distillery can create an Empire Rye product. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas. Since we're on the subject, they have their own Texas whiskey trail. That is right. a um, as does Tennessee. As does Tennessee. As does I think uh, maybe it is Missouri. Um, but it's some of these states that have been very very proactive in kind of what you're saying um, to create maybe that own regional classification. That's mm-hmm. probably where I would see it working a little better. But okay. then then the issue always just becomes like now are you pigeonholing yourself into just creating like Texas whiskey right. or just creating Tennessee whiskey? Like what if you're a Tennessee distiller and you want to make bourbon? Well, you, make uh, bourbon. you can make bourbon. Well, but why that, would we the- change bourbon from – bourbon being an all-american product to i think we need to shift the education to a consumer that bourbon can be made anywhere in america correct yep. and I, just to clarify um because we already have that just we already have that um that troubling point of making a distinction between that bourbon can be made anywhere in america as our native spirit Correct. I mean, Kentucky straight bourbon can only be made, obviously, in Kentucky bourbon per those standards. What I'm saying is I'm not I'm not I don't want any of our brands to lose. I I don't want to mess. I put it this way. I don't want to fuck with anyone's integrity or brand's name or or everything that goes behind. it. I, I just want to be able to produce it, be still able to produce it for one another and be able to celebrate with one another for the betterment in our progress together. Now, there. Are, now, what would be cool? It's just having more like staying power and more buying power against some of these larger brands. Yeah, it's a cooperative. We're we're helping each other. We're helping mm. each other together. And when things get better and things come out, hey, if you need to break away and hey, because someone X Y Z wants to buy it, or you've generated enough revenue, yeah. and you're on a say, hey. You can leave the alliance or whatever you want to fucking call it. I'm not holding you to anything. I'm just trying to find a way where we can survive. Yeah, you know? yeah. This is about survival. I'm, I'm looking at. I'm like, when it really comes down to it, fuck. You know, put the women and children to bed. Let's go fucking hunting. Let's go do our shit. Yeah. And then we'll that. come. 
And then, then, you know, we'll come back to our nice breakfast with as a family and we'll be, you know, we'll be able to survive and, and, and live another day. It's just a matter of trying to find a way where we can not lose that many fucking distilleries. We're going to lose a right. shit distillery. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are. We are. It didn't, and we're going to lose accounts along with that. that. Which, which, losing distilleries, yes, and we're going to lose accounts along with that, which will be probably have the ripple effect of losing just even like more. Consolidate the entire industry on all three sides of this. The, my question would you two questions for you, Wilson. Um, is this a response out of the per, current epoch that we're in with the pandemic as one? And then two, what happened when distilleries start to when, when one distillery starts to separate itself from the other in sales and be kind of comes the shot caller, if you will. And is the, uh, the dominant brand that thinks, well, you know, we're making the money here. Where is our majority? Why force? are we dragging all these other? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay, now I'm full of go good points. The original, the original thought is not to have a dozen brands. We're looking at let's take five prominent brands and let's bring them together. Okay, or a Midwest and, Alliance. You know, let's let's just call it. You know, what it, we can center. It's a it's a it's a matter of centralizing productivity. Yeah. Uh, where if I mean, see, Joe, you don't have a you don't have a still. I don't have a still. There's a couple of brands that don't have stills. They still contract. There you go, Jacob. You don't yeah, have. I do. do. And so let's, you know, this is again back there in your in your <laughs> bathtub. That, that door that's open right there. <laughs> so the thing is, we're trying to maintain our our roots where we all are independently laid right now. Okay, Chicago Distilling out in Logan. Mm-hmm. Ball in Ravenswood, uh, few in Evanston. Um, uh, can, I just, can I just say that I would love you to? I would love to be in the meeting where you pitch us the Robert and Sonnet. I would love love to be there. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> you know, I would pay to see that. that actually. Come together. Well, I, would, I would honestly pay ten dollars to see that. Yeah, they've got 40, 45,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, they running, space. running out of space already. And they're running space out already. I mean, they've got, you know, they've got what they have. Now, why not take what we have to supplement that? But some of that, a good a percentage of my housing, your stuff has to be mine. 80% of what is in my house has to be my juice. 20%, the other 20% can be yours. You and could so turn the, essentially that 45,000 square feet into production only and have no nothing of aging. Yeah. One week we've got we're we're laying down Cabal. One week we're laying down Few. One week we're laying down CH. Mm-hmm. Another week we're laying down Ryan Hall. You know, it's it's just a matter of you know of just centralizing things and then uh, what do you call that? Delegating the other houses that are under the same roof different aspects. You still have a tasting room. Now you can take everything. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Do you consolidate like? all the tasting rooms or you just open up like a chain of conglomerate bars correct so now you have like five different now you have five different tasting rooms serving your stuff that are all serving everyone's stuff so it's like a everyone everyone turns into a bar essentially and you're only serving these five brands what is this like a red robin yum (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I'm just saying, I mean, again, this is all spitball on top of my head. I was just like, how do you, how can we really help one another? Or just, you know, you try to operate within your means, but I mean, we're all different. We're, we're on all such different. Um, and mind you, to answer your question, Jacob, not, not all of it is because of what we're going through today. You know, yeah. it's these are just thoughts I've always had in my mind. But yeah, I know. After what I read today, mm-hmm. it really kicked in. What was that article that you read? It's on the New, New York, York Times. What was it, Jacob? Maybe you can pull uh, Clay Risen was the uh, author um, of it all. I have it right here. I think to simplify what you're saying is, Wilson, that yes, distilleries do. are going to have to start banding together, not necessarily a regional basis, but maybe more on a communal basis than a smaller, a smaller footprint where right. you're talking down the, down the street from each other. Yeah, and, I mean, and take away all the distillers we've mentioned, they're not in trouble. Like we have no idea what their financial. Yes, yes. yes. Craft, what did you say, Joe? Um, craft distillers were booming. Now they face bust. That's it. Um, because I know for a certain fact that some of the distillers we've mentioned are doing fine and producing hand sanitizer for the public right now because they can, with the support right. of the community and the the backing that they have. Right. But what we're saying is that maybe there's like some smaller distilleries that are operating on like let's say a thousand liters still, both of them, uh, not very big, not very big of it at all, and they're gonna ones like hey I don't think we can hang on, and that one's like we're we gonna probably can't thread. hang on either. Yeah, and like what if we combine our interests together, to start mm-hmm. making a distillery um, based on what we have already started over this last five years? Yeah, and that's where it's gonna kind of come into effect. Sure. I mean, remember the 2008, the, the, the whole the whole bust? What happened? Banks start buying one another out. Right. Yeah. Start buying loans. Different platform. I know this is apples to oranges. No, you're right. No, well, it's not really, though. Because our use is our liquidity. I mean, that's our money. And it's yeah. like a savings account. It, gets, it just gets bigger with age and gets better mm-hmm. with age. So it's almost essentially taking that model. I'm like, well – pairing up or tripling up or however you want to do it mm-hmm. just in order to make, you know, you're combining again. And I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I know I'm very confusing. I just no. have some ideas. No, it's ideas. It's, it's almost community. It's still community building. Cause that's what essentially what we do. Um, uh, naturally where, okay, these, these two th- can, can really work together and can really put, keep a, a stronghold in that market within their, with their own product and, and their own fandom and their distillery can keep them functioning. Maybe not at, at the fifth, you know, 15 person team, but maybe at an eight person team, they can still be. Yeah. I mean, again, uh, I, I just, I just, it's survival. Thinking. It's sur- yes. Thank you. Survival. Yeah. Survival because I mean, I, at this point, at this that point, that is very, very valid. That's the essential for us. It's survival. Yeah. No, I agree, and I think that's the uh, the entire um, outlook that we need to have during this whole pandemic. It's the epoch that we're currently in, where we don't know everything's very unassured, and with that out those outcomes that we're waiting to see, we hope for the best, but we also know that we're like happy people falling to the wayside, where we're going to have distilleries that fall, restaurants that fall, and also bars too, where we so independently operate um, essentially as smaller brands. I mean, I even I even thought about, you know, you know how the pop up thing was huge. Like, hey, there's a pop up over here, pop yeah. up over there. Yeah. We may have to pop up in just in breweries. 
Yeah. Oh, I think that's going to be, I, I, I would, I think it's a converse, a large conversation to have, but a hundred percent agree because the breweries are probably the ones that are going to, I, I think they're going to have more of a standing, a long standing point than we are as distilleries because they're, they're, their pub, their pubs aren't open, but their doors are open for sales and people are going to going around to buy beer at a $14 for a six pack rate much more than they're going to come by and buy a $50 bottle of whiskey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit, I'm, I'd be more than happy to call up, you know, uh, Megan and Mike and Nick over at bitter pops. And I'm like, Hey, you got space. I got to still, I got to put up. Right. So that's yeah. a really <laughs> interesting concept. Um, this is something that, um, not not to go back and bring Nancy back into this conversation, but we, because no, we, we Nancy actually about her way too long ago. Yeah, <laughs> bring her back. So um, Nancy Fraley, because she is so deeply rooted in like the Armagnac culture, which is uh, the Gascon region in southwestern France. Um, their whole concept is uh, they have very many small family-owned vineyards, farms, wineries. Um, so you have several different farms in this region, all owned by separate separate farmers, separate families. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that they have is really, really unique. It's called a like portable alembic still. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever seen one of these things, it's absolutely crazy. And I don't think the TTB would ever fucking allow this to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Were you on that call the other day? No. Okay. Have you seen one of these, though? I can't say that. You have? You have. All right. You've seen them before. Robert is showing you one. Yes. Because essentially what it is, it's uh, it's a wood burning portable still so think about that for a second i'm surprised if rolson if you if robert never showed us one or mike or mark i'm sure somebody has yeah Uh, um shout out to cobalt episode 72 of the podcast (laughs) i think or 71 something like that 72 72 no 71 72. Journeyman was 72. Ah, okay. Yes. All right. Here's a good picture. So none right of these individual families have enough production to build their own distilling equipment on their own. So mm-hmm. this is a whole, a whole like profession for somebody in the Gascon region of France a whole to own a one of these portable okay. stills. Yeah. And they they hook it up to the back of their fucking car. They drive it around. It's got wheels on it. And they'll come to your family farm and distill all the spirits that you're going to make for the year in oh like God. two to three weeks. And then they move on to the next person. And then they move on to the next person. And they move on to the next person. And that so for brilliant. 52 weeks out of the year, they're distilling probably 50 to a hundred different families, uh, wine in order mm-hmm. to make Armagnac. So it's are taking, are they, are they taking the wine or the fruits already? So all the families essentially like own their own vineyards. Yes. Most of them make wine. 
and they that's where the a lot of this goes. Yeah. All of their extra and everything that they want to put away and everything they want to make into Armagnac, because it's not a huge amount that would necessitate, you know, spending two to three million dollars on all the all this distilling mm-hmm. equipment. Mm-hmm. It's essentially just like a portable still that goes around the community. And they'll distill your juice for three days. They'll distill Wilson's juice for three days. Ooh, they'll still see Wilson's stuff juice for, three, for days. three days. Oh, your stuff yeah. too? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. All those juices flowing. <laughs> All those no. juices get thrown through the exact same still. Ooh. <laughs> Whole new set. Now, that would allow... Now, if... There's a precedent for this. The there's, precedent is based on the brewing industry, once again, for bottling lines. Bottling uh, lines travel yeah. throughout America, throughout their regions, and for bottle sure. other breweries, craft breweries throughout um, the United States. I mean, this, our buddies at Big Isle do it. They rent their bottling line. 100%. Yeah, and that way people actually come through with this. There is, It's not the same thing as distilling because you're not creating the product. You're you're bottling the product. You're bonding the product, essentially. Um but with but it's that an expensive part of the whole production, and if yes. you can mitigate a lot of those costs by distributing it amongst 10 to 20 different independent operators, mm-hmm. you've cut your costs down tenfold. No. Right now you're only paying 20 bucks instead of 2000 to bottle your own product. I mean, that's obviously not it's- true, but. Definitely. No, 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 no. I, see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You understand the point. I mean, now, saying all this now, if, if playing by the current new laws set, excuse me, in the state of Illinois, where, for instance, all the Illinois based distilleries now have an opportunity to open up a second location within what is it? What was it, Jacob? Uh, 90 miles was the. 90 miles, a, second, a satellite location. Satellite location. Now, what's not clear to me, and I don't know, Jake, if you know, is if you can produce there or if it's just a, a, a place of, uh, uh, of retail of any sort of that nature. But that, that I mean, if mm-hmm. we have to play, we have to play within the law, of course. So that right. just... That just added a whole new layer of ideas in a sense of but laws could be lifted and amended after this whole recession. True. They already are. But you... Yes. We, yeah, I mean, to a degree, they are. How long will they be that uh, nice? <laughs> you know, right? You know, right. How, you know, so it's just, oh my god, because that's just ridiculous. Like Ari over at Maplewood Brewery right. is, as well. You know, so I'm curious. I mean, I never got to talk to him about it or ask him. But I wonder how that really works for him because now he's paying two taxes and so on mm. and so forth and. You know, it does one support the other or vice versa? I mean, there's so many ideas, you know, and so it's it's interesting. That's that's I'm happy that you brought her back into the conversation, aside from her expertise and her and her position in the whiskey world. But man, uh, that's, that's just such a um, an interesting concept that I've seen because <clears throat> I try and capture ideas from all over the world and, you know, what is distilled and how can I apply these concepts and these flavors and these things to what I'm making myself. And that was one where I saw a immediate correlation because like Paul at 45th parallel, they're, they're doing their own stuff. They're making, you know, numerous different clients 
worth of booze, and then they make our juice as well. Yeah. And um, it's similar. There, this exists a lot more prevalent in craft beer, but it's starting to become more popular in like Bardstown Distilling Company. They do a lot of contract distilling. Yes. Yeah. Um, Great point. And what I I see and I hope is that instead of these brands like folding up and dying, look to some of those other bigger distilleries that might also be struggling and try and continue your production while helping them out as well. Correct. Well said. And there's already the precedent there, like Wilson said, with uh, Castle and Key over at Pinhook. Yep. Because yeah. the whole thing with Pinhook and Castle and Key began before Castle and Key began, was Castle and Key. I mean, as they were just MPAs, MGP stock. Correct. Yeah. So MPG now, stock. Sorry. But they needed a place to store. MGP. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what I said the first time. Barrels. So it's you know, just finding a place. But at the same time, the talks about eventually we're going to have to weigh off the juice and we're going to have to put out our own stuff. Let's talk. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. You know, contract distilling, which that's how Castle and Key got into that game. Right. But aside from the. The, um, the the ability to um, what Bardstown offers, which is essentially um, what do you call that? Um, gosh, I'm losing my I have I have it in making Please. your own, here's my mash. This is this is my mash bill. Make it for me. You know, oh, yeah. sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Ooh, that's Ashen. Whereas MGP is kind of now rethinking their. Mm-hmm. Because of their shares are going down now, they're like, well, why are shares down? We should, we used to be doing better. Well, everyone has your juice already, bro. You know what I'm saying? Everyone, <laughs> they've done what they can for me. You've gotten to a point now, to a degree where you don't, you can't do anything else. The releasing of your own brands didn't really help your position. Period. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, it just wasn't blended properly. Personally. <laughs> <laughs> Shouts to you, Harrison. You know, but now, have, <laughs> but, but still, MGP still a great source of, of juice. Oh yeah, yeah. we're After. seeing it right now with Pinhook. I mean, literally emptying their twelve year old barrel, and the response already gotten before it's even on the market. Holy shit! You know what I'm saying? But it's just, I mean, again, the ideas are just from based on what we've seen and what we've been exposed to. Uh, Joe, just like you, like you and your travels, what you see, you try to take away and try to apply to your business. Jake and I, our knowledge base and what we ultimately would like to, to do or or just to invigorate ourselves, you know, or to keep our, our, our competitive juices flowing, what we can yeah. take from other brands and, and what, you know, or methods, you know. I mean, there's just so much out there. But ultimately. Yeah. It comes back to community, and this is where, you know, the tip jar, the virtual tip jars and all that shit is going to become a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. And I think this it, is where it, I it, think it, it's cool. It goes all the way back to the end consumer because at the end of the day, it's before craft distilling or before craft brewing even started, you know, you could buy beer from four different companies. Or you could buy spirits from five different companies. Mm-hmm. The consolidation of the industry as it is right now, it's still pretty much five major brands make up about 75 to 80 percent of the industry. I don't know the exact numbers, but I college. Yeah, exactly. 
You got the Big Ten. <laughs> the Power Five. You have the Pac-12. Yeah. You have the SEC, which just fucks everybody. You have the ACC. And then you've got, uh, the I don't Big know, East. the Big East. Yeah. Right. And um, that's great because because those brands and those companies are so good at what they do, they continue to push each other. Yeah. But from a consumer perspective, what if you don't want something that's from those brands? Like there is a mm-hmm. lot of creativity that's coming out of the craft distilling movement. Um, there's a lot of people that are doing traditional stuff, you know, just making like straight Kentucky bourbon. Yeah. But there's also a lot of things that are pushing the envelope that are really trying to um, innovate and do cool new things and try stuff out. And so even from a consumer perspective, you should want and I want as a consumer because like, I mean, you saw this collection like I've got a shit ton of different right. models like this is not all J. Henry. Like, yeah. I have. Really? Japanese whiskey. I have bottles of Blonde Brothers. I have bottle of fuck Union Horse. Yeah, fuck Matt Brown especially. I have a bottle of Starwood. I have I'm a fleech. A bunch of different scotch. Uh, a ton of different bourbon. I've got a ton of rum. I've even got some tequila. I've got Armagnac. And it's like you won't have. Yes, you will have that diversity of selection, but it's all you know more or less dictated by somebody in a boardroom at the top of the food chain that's saying rum is going to be the next big thing. So we're going to make a Dude, bunch of Dude, we've been hearing that for 10 years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's why I said it. <laughs> we, we, it, it. You're right. You're right. There will be a boardroom that considers a lot of it, but it's also the consumer con- that is going to dictate what happens out there. And if you are, keep buying these smaller brands, the smaller brands will persist. But right now, I understand like why they're why the consumers are directing themselves to the comfort brands. It's the price point. It's what you know. It's easy. It's accessible. You walk in, you see it right away because they have the most shelf space, and it's easy to get in and out without breathing on somebody, touching them, or having sexual intercourse. But but, at the same time, it's there. I think we're going to come to the point when us smaller brands have to stop ask, stop peering on the stop. uh, You know, looking at the question of. We're looking at the the outcome of big brands, comfort brands are on the shelves and coming off the shelves very easily, mm. and somebody's ready for a change. And will yeah. we be there that day when that change when they're ready for that change? So in other words, they're, they're, and and if I am understanding you correctly, fuck them because I'm not afraid. No, 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 because because well, Matt those, Brown those, definitely. Yeah, fuck Matt Brown, but and and, and maybe Matt Brown too, but. <laughs> it may be official Matt Brown. I don't know. The, the official Matt Brown. Yeah. His fan well. But no, I, I, I wouldn't say more fuck what them. I'm saying is like not fucking have a I'm community like, I'm not where saying it, it gets you know you know the Blom brothers and you know Matt Brown and the idea of fuck Matt Brown, which now people are literally coming up to him that he's never met before. While he's doing tastings and telling him to fuck you, they literally, he told me this. He's like, random fucking people come up to me while I'm standing at Biddy's and no. say, fuck off, fuck you, Matt Brown. They buy a bottle and then they leave. 
<laughs> and <laughs> I have not heard this. Yes. So think about that happening. And that does not get to happen if you have five companies dictating everything that you drink. And you don't get to have fun shit like that. That's really where I'm going.